cancer industry specifically. It has changed dramatically. The field of biophotonics was just getting started. The first instrument that I bought was a microwave spectrum analyzer. It's time to shed light on our universe. This is All Things Photonics, a podcast about the physical science of light. Join us as we explore the latest in lasers, optics, spectroscopy, and microscopy. Each episode, you'll hear from leading voices from across the photonics landscape. We're brought to you by Photonics Media. This is Associate Editor Joel Williams. Here are this week's top stories. A collaboration between scientists from the University of New Mexico, Los Alamos National Laboratory, and the Institute of Optics in Spain has developed a framework that enables the efficient and simple description of the thermalization dynamics of systems that are made up of even thousands of nanoparticles. The work delivers insight into the way that collections of nanoparticles radiatively exchange heat with one another and their environment. Researchers at Raytheon BBN Technologies developed a method of single photon detection based on a Josephson junction. The advancement, which is poised to spur development in sensor, communication, and quantum processing technology, features the Josephson junction in a role that is analogous to that of a transistor in electronic systems, said Ken Chung Fang, a quantum information processing scientist at Raytheon BBN Technologies. An integrated approach that uses a single photon emitter embedded in a photonic waveguide developed by researchers at KTH Royal Institute of Technology could enable the transmission of large-scale quantum information over fiber optic networks. The KTH method emits photons in a deterministic, rather than probabilistic, fashion to deliver qubits on demand. Researchers at the University of Maryland have shown that photons in a vacuum can have orbital angular momentum vectors that point sideways at 90 degrees to the direction of propagation. The discovery relies on a spatiotemporal optical vortex, the pulses of which are already known to hold potential in nonlinear optics applications. And finally, researchers at MIT have developed a method to rapidly change imagery on an object's surface. The system, ChromoUpdate, pairs an ultraviolet light projector with items coated in light-activated dye. The projected light alters the reflective properties of the dye to create colorful new images in a matter of minutes. The technology may accelerate product development by allowing developers to showcase multiple color schemes and designs with a single prototype. Up next, news editor Jake Saltzman speaks with Bishnu Paul, former president of the Optical Society of India and author of the book Frontiers in Guided Wave Optics and Optoelectronics. I'm Joel Williams, and you're listening to All Things Photonics. Our guest today is Dr. Bishnu Paul, Professor of Physics and Dean of Academics at École Centrale School of Engineering in Hindu University at Hyderabad. Dr. Paul earned the Esther Hoffman Beller Medal from OSA in 2016 for outstanding contributions to education in optical science and engineering. He earned the IEEE Distinguished Lecturer Award for 2005 to 2007. Bishnu Paul was President of the Optical Society of India from 2012 to 2015 is editor of the peer-reviewed Frontiers in Guided Wave Optics and Optoelectronics, 
and just this year was recognized with the SPIE Maria J. Uzel Educator Award in recognition of four decades of sustained contributions in education, outreach, research, technical program committees of global flagship conferences, and editing four popular publications in guided wave optics and photonics. Dr. Paul, thank you for being on with us. Thank you. So it's been about 10 years now since Frontiers in Guided Wave Optics and Optoelectronics was released. Uh, you served as, as editor. What have been some of the most significant breakthroughs or areas of progress in guided wave electronics uh, or waveguiding in um, the almost 11 years, I suppose, since publication? Some of the hottest topics, for example, in optical networking, the application of machine learning to optical networks, the evolution of edge optical networks, also known as one edge, especially related to converged fiber wireless front hall solutions. One edge uh, infrastructure enables network connectivity from distributed enterprise locations to access third-party resources in both private and public data centers, as well as cloud, the jargon of the day today. The application of coherent technology and advanced uh, digital DSP, the digital signal processing, has now turned to also access networks. Another area is software-defined networking, which now permeates much of the research in optical networking, as seen from large number of papers and focus in recent WFC conferences. Capacity limits of a fiber discussed as, at least as early as at the WFC 2008, I think, uh, are a challenge faced by some carriers and enterprises because either they have their own or rented uh, one or two pair fiber, fiber pairs across the network, which is not sufficient. One proposed solution has been now known as space division multiplexing, SDM, in which multi-core or a few-mode fiber is, is one of the possible emerging technology solutions to optical network architecture space that it may restrict routing flexibility, even though it may restrict routing flexibility due to high levels of crosstalk. Another approach to expanding the available capacities to develop optical fiber amplifiers for near wavelength bands, like uh, not just the C band, which is currently used extensively, newer bands like O band with Bismarck dock fibers, uh, 1.3 to 1.36 micrometer, wavelength uh, M band uh, with thulium dot fibers, uh, 2 micrometer, including 1.7 micrometer. These are being explored. Another uh, development which is taking place on a very large scale is photonic integrated circuits that have been another major development in recent years due to the humongous amount of power consumption involved in data transfer. Estimated, according to Cisco, estimated annual global data center traffic in 2015 was about 4.7 zettabyte and it is likely to increase to 5.3 zettabyte by 2020, uh, one zettabyte being one billion terabytes. 
and uh, the, the amount of power that is uh, that is eaten up in sending signals through servers and switches across the globe is almost 200 terawatt worth <laughs> uh, terawatt worth energy is being used by data centers annually. That is one of the conservative estimate published in IEEE journal. And to quote Michelle Lipson, Columbia University. Silicon Photonics could, Silicon Photonics could enable a cheap scale platform for monolithic integration of optics and microelectronics for applications in optical interconnects in which high data streams are required in a small footprint. Unquote. CMOS technology compatible for this integration can substantially reduce power consumption. For high-speed communication, photonic integrated circuits is attractive and has huge scope for pure research and R&D. My first grad student at IIT Delhi, Dr. Ramanan Tiwari, is the CMD of the company Core Scientific at Ottawa in Canada. He's an expert in this particular area in terms of designs of silicon photonic components. So these are my views of <laughs> changes which have taken place possibly in the last 10 years. It's an extensive list, and you mentioned some things that I think we're going to get into, many of them, uh, certainly silicon photonics here in a moment. You're recognized globally as, as one of the premier innovators of fiber optic technology and fiber optic communications. Going back to the, well, we'll go to the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, what were some of the early goals of fiber optic communications, and what was the ultimate goal uh, going back in time? Actually, you know, Jack, I did my PhD thesis on semiconductor physics, <laughs> and in, uh, I did it in 1975 from IIT Delhi in India. And then very soon, uh, soon after completion of my degree, a PhD degree, it appeared to us uh, and the group I was working with that optics, optical communications is going to come in a big way. Uh, so I switched to optics and photonics, uh, and it so happened fortuitously, uh, just after working for a few months at IIT, at the same place where I did my PhD, I got an offer, postdoc offer from Royal Norwegian CSIR in, uh, to work with uh, one uh, professor, uh, his name is Shell Lutisher, it's a Norwegian name, and he told me that he was also working in this area of semiconductor physics where I was, I did my PhD thesis, but he has switched to recently at that time, recently at that time to five um, optical fibers and they are trying to develop fabrication facilities to obtain low loss optical fibers. So that was a very fortuitous coincidence and uh, so I accepted it and I went there and worked for two years there and I never regretted to having migrated to that field because in my time I saw the sort of but because the first low loss fibers came from Corning in 1970 and um, then the zero dispersion phenomena material dispersion came from Southampton in 1973 I started around 1975 Lowest loss single mode fiber came in 1979, and ever since the single mode lowest loss single mode fiber, it came from NTT Japan, and uh, thereafter there is no looking back. 
From 1980 onwards, entire optical communication market was flooded with single mode fibers. Then came 1970, uh, 1986, uh, Southampton reported the first uh, LBM.5 amplifiers. Around that time, there was a lot of talk for migrating to dispersion-shifted fibers to take advantage of the lowest loss at 1550 of silica fibers. And in fact, Japan has... Uh, Japan had invested a lot of money for that, but all of a sudden this avian fiber amplifier came on the market and uh, by 1993 uh, it was in uh, it became an integral component for wavelength emission multiplex transmission. So the huge demand, huge increase in bandwidth, captive bandwidth took place. And uh, and the field, you know, went on, went on, and then after, and then what I said in my last uh, arguments about what has taken place in last ten years is something like that. So when you're involved in the research and development of a field in its early stages, a field that's unproven and untested, I have to think that you you're forced to hear the doubts from others. Uh, and certainly we've heard this talked about in, in newer emerging fields, silicon photonics, for example, uh, terahertz waveguiding. What are some of the things that the doubters express to you uh, as you're pursuing this work? Since I, I, I have been a professor and still a professor, an academician, and we, we have to, you know, advise PhD students. We have to get new problems. Uh, at the university, not necessarily always looking for that, it will have an immediate industry applications. The field, you know, the field evolves uh, as it evolved. For example, I saw, I saw, I told you about uh, single mode fiber. So I did quite a bit of work in single mode fiber still about late 1980s. One of my paper in electronics letters was reprinted in an IEEE uh, book. In um, IEEE is the UK um, in a book which is Progress in Optical Communication Volume Two. So there, from while working on that, I also migrated to or picked up the field of optical fiber sensors. Uh, I did quite a bit of work at that in mid 1980s. Then all of a sudden, I saw this development of EDFA taking place. And David Payne, the inventor of that from Southampton, was a good friend of mine. Uh, I was visiting him in 1989 under a British uh, aid project given to IIT Delhi. Uh, and there I met him and he said that uh, the new thing is avian road fiber amplifiers. So he asked me to see his lab. Uh, he gave somebody, Ricky, one colleague of his, a young colleague, who took me around. And I thought that, well, this uh, this appears very attractive because of the broad bandwidth. So it started, in fact, we also started working, doing some experiment on Airbnb road fiber amplifiers at IIT Delhi almost around 1988-89 with the Airbnb fiber, two fibers gifted by David Payne's group. And I had a friend, Raman Kastrup, who's one of the prolific researcher on fiber bag grading, working at that time at the British Telecom uh, Research Center at Martelsham. He also gave me a sample of that, a uh, few tens of meters. With that, we started working on fiber amplifier. And then uh, we continued with those then in terms of designing dispersion compensating fibers for broadband RBM growth fiber amplifier um, I embedded optical communication systems. I did quite a bit of work on that with my grad students. 
And then uh, when this was getting a bit of saturation, because uh, as you know, the dispersion compensating fibers is no longer very attractive because people have found out applications from wireless technology that you can use DSP uh, to compensate for any dispersion. So then yeah, silicon photonics actually, it was an accidental. I, I was uh, pick up because I on one Saturday, I was sitting in my office and reading some magazines like your photonic spectra or laser <laughs> focus. I don't know. Yes, I've heard of that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ah, and I, I must tell you in my interview that your these journals, even though not totally technically scientific in that sense, but the coverage of what is going to come, what is the, in a semi-popular language, what is covered, is extremely, I tell all my students, you must read, you know, photonic spectra, laser, uh, laser focus type of uh, magazines to get latest ideas because you do cover the latest developments. And I, I read an article by, by one of you, I think, uh, on silicon photonics. And, I, uh, and then I realized that why not uh, I ask one of my new PhD students to work on that. So I went straight to <laughs> to my students uh, who were working in their uh, in their working uh, room, and I told them that okay, you see, this is something we explore this, and uh, I'll tell you a few couple of problems I already have in my mind. On this. <laughs> so that's how I picked up silicon photonics and mostly worked on slot wave guys, which was a brainchild of. Uh, Michelle Lipson from, at that time, she was in Cornell. So you've contributed to, you've talked about Southampton and some of your other travels and, and, and collaborations, and you've contributed to research, and you've worked extensively in your career in, in Europe, Asia, uh, also North America. I want to ask you about globalization of the optics and photonics industry, because that's something that has, has really grown. Can you characterize that for us, how you've seen that grow uh, throughout your time in the industry? Directly, I did not work in industry, but I I did a consultancy project for industries. So when I started uh, my career in photonics and more specifically fiber optics, as a postdoc at the as I told you at uh, in Norway that that time it used to be called as NTO Norwegian Institute of Technology. Now it is called the Norwegian University of Science and Technology at Trondheim. Way back in 75, with the responsibility to measure defective index profile of optical fibers, which were getting uh, developed and fabricated in the group. There were few other groups in the other Scandinavian countries at that time who were also involved in similar activities, trying to get low loss optical fibers. In fact, under the aegis of something known as NORFOSH, it is a Scandinavian word, it means, it means Science Research Council of Scandinavian countries, of Nordic countries. We even conducted a joint workshop as early as in 1975 uh, to discuss outcomes of a round-robin experiment on the characterization tests of the same fiber performed by each group in their own laboratory to arrive at some standard protocols and fiber characterization procedure. In fact, there I was the only one who spoke in English and rest of the attendees of the workshop uh, who were doing brainstorming, they all were talking in their own language of uh, Swedish, Danish, and Norwegian. And uh, only the Finnish people uh, spoke in Finnish language, English language, because their language is not understood by other Scandinavian countries so well. 
fibers. By 1980, as I just mentioned, signal transmission through fibers, particularly single mode fibers, became a practical reality, and there arose a huge demand for trained manpower in the area of optical communication and fiber optics, which has been responsible for globalization of optics and photonics industries. We included, we were the, one of the first to start an interdisciplinary Masters of Technology program at IIT Delhi, in which I was very deeply involved from 1980 on opti electronics and optical communication, which was offered jointly by physics and electrical engineering department there. Dr. Bishnu Paul joining us today on All Things Photonics. For our listeners who don't know, uh, and I'll throw myself into this category, how would you characterize the state of the optics and photonics community um, in India, and how has it grown there? Optics has been, um, used to be taught primarily at the BS and MS, uh, in your US terminology, we call BSc and MSc in India, in physics, at several universities and institutes for a long time in India. For example, at IIT Delhi itself, there exists, existed a Master of Technology course in Applied Optics, which has been running from mid-1960s. Likewise, Calcutta University in Kolkata now, is called Kolkata now, to had a master degree program in applied optics. Students who were graduated from those courses have made very important contributions and value addition to Indian space research and atomic energy programs. Some became entrepreneurs also. Since early 1980s, at few places like IITs, Cochin University of Science and Technology, in short known as KUSAT, at Kochi, Calcutta University, etc., had dedicated courses at master level on optics and photonics area, though under different names. Thus, to an extent, optics and photonics indeed proliferated at isolated places, but not to the extent we would have loved to see. On the industrial front, there are large-sized industries like Stellite Technologies at Aurangabad, who claim to be the third largest manufacturer of low-dose optical fibers for telecom in, in the world, who roll out huge volume of telecom-grade optical fibers. There are companies, I have lots of students working there. There are companies, past students, there are companies who manufacture special customized optical components for telescopes, microscopes, man-made satellites, etc. For example, for the big telescope coming in Hawaii, uh, quite a few components are being sourced from India. There is a national CSIR, Council for Scientific and Industrial Research, it's a British, you know, uh, British German laboratory that is known as Central Glass and Ceramic Research Institute, CGCRI in Kolkata, who specialize in design and fabrication of application-specific ceramics and glass, and also they have a state-of-the-art laboratory on specialty optical fiber technology, something like the new photon in uh, Connecticut in USA, and all fiber components like Airbnb fibers. In fact, there some of their Airbnb fibers have been converted into amplifiers by a company in Cochin, uh, in Kochi in India, and these are sold in US for CATB applications. Fiber brag grading, fully of fiber lasers for surgical applications like urology, for breaking kidney stones, etc. They have this facility also there. So, um, there is a, there are also defense research laboratories. I'm partly associated with some of them where their extensive use of science and technology and lasers is pursued. There is a, there is a, uh, there is a defense lab here in Hyderabad known as CHESS. 
so that uh, they have an Indo-US project for understanding the science of uh, propagating high-power lasers in a turbulent medium. Uh, I, in fact, chaired that uh, committee's uh, technical uh, progress uh, meetings. So, and also, government of India, current government of India is also deliberating how to enhance budgets for focused science and technology programs of the government. And photonics, indeed, finds an important focus. I'm involved in one of those committees. You're not involved in all of them, but you are... Uh you touched many of them. I mean, you were in the, the IEEE Distinguished Lecturer Award um, for 2005 to 2007, and that's a global award, but it really also recognizes um, achievements in educating and working with others. You've worked closely with industry, uh, especially fiber and fiber optic manufacturers. You've been in research. You've contributed as an author. How do these different aspects of your career tie together to enhance your ability to contribute uh, in your work from different angles? <laughs> okay, that's an interesting question. Actually, what happens is, what happened, what I, what I feel is that, you know, uh, because I have been teaching for a long time, so in the class, in the classroom lectures, uh, in the, in the present, with the, to the present generation of students who have so much of access of information from Google, uh, Google search and so on and uh, handheld small devices, to make them make uh, your deliberations in the class interesting, and since I am a physicist and in photonics, we do need to emphasize that there are quite a bit of algebra involved in the design of components and and um, for other applications of optics and photonics. To keep them engaged and focused on what you are discussing, if you can share with them your experiences of working with with um, industry experts and uh, other reputed scientists and discussions that you inherited new ideas through conferences and so on and the application whatever we are doing on the blackboard is going to or green board is going to be uh, applied here in this in particular way that uh, I found that that catches their keeps, uh, keeps them engaged, uh, their attention and concentration. So in that sense, uh, because of my you know networking or exposure to so many top guys in the field and also industry experts, I could uh, share my experience with them in, because I have to give them knowledge. So whatever I know, I want to give as much as possible. So I found that helped a lot of my, uh, you know, like I typically distinguished lecturer and meeting, uh, meeting so many other groups around the globe. I visited 13 groups in the world at that time. So you are no doubt a, an influencer to many uh, established and, and now also rising professionals, be them academic professionals, be them uh, professionals in industry. Your voice is, is a leading one, no doubt. Who are some of your early professional influences? You see, I uh, to tell you uh, the truth is that, that during my master's study, I did master's in physics in uh, Jadutpur University, that's the university in Calcutta. I came across two outstanding professors. One, I would like to give their name, but not not so important, but both of them are no longer there. 
but they had made outstanding impression on me. Late Professor Samadas Chatterjee, who was one of the very first to achieve nuclear chain reaction while working at the Bose Institute in Calcutta, and late Professor Topin Roy, an associate of Nobel laureate C.M. Dirac, who taught us quantum mechanics. During my graduate studies, my thesis advisors were Professor M.S. Soda and Ajay Ghatak. Ajay Ghatak was a grad from Cornell. Uh, from Hans Bethe's time, the Nobel laureate, have had great influence in me. Professor Soda was specialized in nucleus and solid-state plasma physics, optics, energy studies. He'll be 89, actually, next week. And I'm investigating a journal special issue in his honor, which will be released on 8th of February and given to him. While Professor Ghatak, Ajay Ghatak is well-known worldwide as a researcher and educator of optics, and Guided Ray Photonics has written many books. Both of them had great influence on me as my mentors in scientific research. I did my postdoc with Professor Shell Blotager of NTO at Trondheim. I mentioned that whereby I started to work on fiber characterization and fiber optics more deeply. I had a, I had a second PDF stint at the Fraunhofer Institute, Institute for Physicality Mass Technique in Freiburg in Germany with Professor Ralph Kirsten. I also worked for a year in the optoelectronic metrology group at NIST Boulder, Colorado in 1990-91, where my host was Dr. Bob Galawa. In late 1980s, we were granted a mega overseas development association funded project by the British government for building up a teaching come research lab at IIT Delhi in collaboration with several UK universities and groups like Strathcote University. Principal collaborator was Professor Brian Kalsho. He was also a president of SPAE at some point of time. He was the head of optoelectronics group there. Sir David Payne, you know the name. ORC Southampton, Raman Kashyap, British Telecom Research Center at Martinsham Heath. Professor Peter Levon, Glasgow University is retired now and so on. So thereafter, under the UK-India Education and Research Initiative, we are granted another mega project on application-specific microstructure fibers in a very stiff competition in, 19, in 2007, in which the city, the London University, the, my point of contact and coordinator there was Professor Aziz Rahman and Ken Grattan. They were the main collaborators besides Professor Ajay Kaur, uh, he was my schoolmate. Uh, he now is a senior professor at Heriot Watt University, Edinburgh. Professor Benson at University of Nottingham and Sir David Pence Group at ORC again, Southampton. So thereafter, we were again granted another trilateral UK-USA-India UQRE project in which Professor Gavind Agarwal, very well known in nonlinear fiber optics, we did our PhD together at IIT Delhi in 1970 from Institute of Optics and registered now, and Ajit Rahman again from the City London University. We collaborated on designs of fibers as terahertz source and the transmission waveguide. Towards the end of my stay at IIT Delhi, I was granted another project by Office of the Naval Research Global of the U.S. government, which allowed me to collaborate with scientists like Ish Agarwal and Jas Sangera from Naval Research Lab in Washington, when wavelength translation to design all fiber light source in the mid-IR. I feel I am very fortunate for having got opportunities to work and collaborate with this outstanding science. It is an impressive roster of names, and it's it's fascinating to hear how 
you know, education and, and working collaboration sort of merge. Uh, and I suppose that's characteristic of, of this field. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned um, a little bit earlier that we may have passed over and that I want to revisit are what we call specialty optical fibers. Uh, straightforward enough. Can you just define what we're talking about with specialty optical fibers? Specialty optical fibers are the fibers which are not necessarily meant for telecom directly as a signal transmission media. But dispersion compensating fiber is a specialty fiber which is used as a discrete component, you can say, in the fiber optic transmission link. So specialty fibers are, for example, the work, uh, the work that I did last project that I had from Office of Naval Research, Naval Research Global, these are all specialty fibers. We designed uh, five, uh, microstructured fibers based on media air material, transmitting materials like chalcogenides. And then um, there we exploited the physics of wavelength translation, implying that I designed the fiber and I pump it with a source which is commercially available and reasonably high power to get nonlinear optical effect and through four way mixing effect I get in another light outcome output from that specially designed fiber which is coming at a longer wavelength in the mid air. Just one example I'll quote uh, there are several we have done. So was thulium dot fiber laser emits at around two micrometer. We made use of that to get a on fiber mid air light source at 4.5 micrometer as a narrowband source or uh, a fiber which is from 3 to, which is emitting 3 to 4 micrometer broadband source. So these are special examples of specialty fibers, you know, uh, originated from telecom idea, but um, the fiber as a guided medium, guided medium, you can exploit to get other phenomena and other use. I want to talk now about some of your, your recent work, um, specifically with Bragg fibers and super continuum light. And that's something that holds particular potential with, with OCT, for example, uh, as well as optical communication. Can you talk about some of the, the perhaps the non-traditional applications of your work? Uh, and what are some of the applications that we may not know that are um, particularly interesting to you? You see, the Bragg fiber is essentially a is a photonic crystal fiber, or I prefer to call it as a microstructured optical fiber, is a one-dimensional photonic crystal fiber in that sense. Because black fibers are, you, you have, uh, there is no, there's the angular symmetry in the phi direction, but they vary in reflective indices only along the radial direction. So it's a one-dimensional photonic crystal uh, variety of microstructured optical fiber. And since this has air core, it's a photonic band gap. So air core is there, air core is there. So you can make it and the outside series of rings of alternate high and low reflective index makes it a photonic band gap guided fiber. So, so therefore this kind of fibers, there is a very strong interest now. And uh, David Payne told me in, very recently, in, I had organized a virtual seminar, said that about uh, this uh, air-guided, you know, anti-resolvent fiber structures and so on. So, black fiber, to an extent, is which which does the similar purpose, but the, its fabrication may be slightly difficult as compared to what they have now perfected for anti-resolvent uh, optical fiber. But otherwise, it can be used for communication with very low loss because air is the core region. So if you can achieve a low loss black fiber, 
why not? That could be also another um, another platform for low loss transmission. And also you can fill it up with liquids or some other material. So you can make it also a sensing device. Uh, you've mentioned now several times the work that's uh, that's happening and has happened at Southampton. I encourage our listeners to 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 look into that work because it's really interesting with with anti resonance and hollow core fibers, NAMFs, uh, even gyroscopic sensing. Really impressive work being done at Southampton. Um, our guest is Bishnu Paul, uh, and, and I want to ask you a question that um, you know, shifts gears a little bit. In, in late in 2020. Uh, we lost a, a leading innovator to the field of fiber optics, uh, Narendra Singh Kapani, referred to by many as, as the father of fiber optics and, and optical communication. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, his work in, in the man himself? I first met him and I had studied his, uh, during my graduate days, I um, I did study his books on, two books on fiber optics. Uh, one was on uh, fiber optics uh, principles and applications. He was the single author, which was published in 1968. And another one, he had collaborated with one gentleman, I forgot his, maybe James Bark, B-U-R-K. He was a professor at College of Optics in uh, Tucson. In fact, I met him in 1989 very briefly uh, when I was visiting that college. So these were the two very first books in fiber optics which came and Kapani was author in both the books. So he came to, I met him first in 1998 at the time of the, we have, we have a flagship conference on biennially held in India and I am very deeply involved in his organization for a very long time. Uh, it is 17th was I think done last in 2018. So um, this was a conference which is named as Fiber Optics and Photonics, and that was organized in IIT Delhi in 1998. It revolves around the country. So Dr. Kapani, we had chosen him as the keynote speaker there, and I met him there for the first time. What I know about him is that he was one of the very first to show demonstrate the transmission of coherent transmission of optical images through a bundle of optical fibers to a distant point. And that he published with his PhD mentor, Professor outstanding man, Professor Hopkins, in, uh, in a nature paper in 1954. Thereafter, I think he contributed a cover article on Scientific American in 1960 to explain what is fiber optics. And that time, I think that was the time when he introduced the word fiber optics. Then he did his PhD with uh, this big man, Professor Hopkins. He was, uh, as I said, that he was the first to demonstrate, along with Hopkins, the uh, image transmission through a bundle of fibers, what is now known as the guided wave optics. Uh, he is credited with coming of the coining of the term fiber optics, and is also considered the father of fiber optics by some people, or by many actually. According to Jeff Hecht, who writes very nice optics, um, semi-popular books, he said that Kapadi was an enthusiastic promoter of a technology that long seemed more like science fiction than fact. Medical endoscopy, as you know, is the best application that could be cited of this work of Kapadi, in my opinion. He was very successful entrepreneur also, and from Optics Limited, I think one of the first venture capital funded company in California, in the Silicon Valley. Then in 1973 or so, he formed the company Captron, which was doing so well that he sold it out. Uh, so he was a very successful entrepreneur. 
and apparently he was a fiercely proud i do not know personally his this this tenet of his characteristic but apparently he was fiercely proud of his heritage as a sikh sikh this one of the indian communities known city where a turban as kapadi used to and had collected possibly the largest collection of sikh art in his uh, at his either i think in a museum at his home that's that is interesting detail, and it it shouldn't come as any surprise to our listeners. This has been a an extraordinary conversation uh, of of anecdotes and of of explanations. Uh, Doctor Bishnu Paul, uh, our guest, and I, I want to end on a question that um, rather than takes us back, takes us forward. You know, I keep coming back to fiber optic technology, so I suppose that is uh, a reasonable place to end. What are some of the trends or the advances in that field, in that technology that you project will most innovate the field in the next 5, 10, uh, or, or even 20 years? Predicting the future is a tough business. Uh, I'll give you an example. And some researchers at OFC 2000, I think, conference, uh, in that time frame, they had aired that line rates much greater than 10 gigabit would never come. Uh, because uh, it can't be realized due to signal quality impairments, as you know by FI dispersion, as you increase the line rate or bit transmission rate. However, the advancements such as coherent technology and advanced digital signal processing have completely changed the landscape. With 100 gigabit per second is taken for granted now, or higher backbone systems currently being deployed. So the moral is, don't bet against technology. Okay, so it could be it's difficult to really make a, um, a very realistic predictions, but I feel that uh, the bit rate is going to be still going to be higher and higher. But at some point of time, there could be a capacity crunch, and uh, there people are now talking of a new optical window in the mid IR, which is the low transmission uh, window in the mid IR. So that could be one of the new wavelength windows which might be captured for overcoming the capacity, bandwidth capacity crunch. Then photonic integrated circuits, we already discussed about silicon photonics, another material which is also very, very um, popular for photonic integrated circuits is indium phosphide, although they are more costly than silicon photonics. In this, cost, in this context, slot waveguide are very attractive, which is relatively um, recent. It first was proposed by Michelle Lipson in 2004. And my latest graduate student's thesis involves designs of slot waveguide-based mid-air gas sensors, uh, like a lab on a chip, and polarization components for polarization diversity. Advantage of silicon photonics in lower cost, and due to high index contrast, density of components could be high. However, lower effective index contrast material, which is relatively new for silicon photonics, is the silicon right type. That is attracting a lot of interest now. With the explosion of growing interest for instant access to information, there could be a capacity crunch, as I said. So, mid-IR wavelength transmission could be one of the possibilities. There is a lot of interest to develop and use air core photonic band gap fibers, as we discussed just a while ago. Blue-green wavelength window may be increasingly used by defense for air to submarine communication. And guided wave optical sensors are finding newer, more and more applications in biophotonics for point-of-care treatment and as lab on a chip. 
in a material sense, in a technological sense, uh, you've given us quite a bit to, to look forward to. Uh, I trust you'll be keeping an eye out as well. Uh, I want to thank you, Dr. Paul, for, for joining us. Thank you very much. That does it for this episode of All Things Photonics. Thank you to our engineer, Alan Shepard, and to Joel Williams with the news. Our featured music is courtesy of betterwithmusic.com. Most of all, thank you, our listeners. As always, you can share your thoughts, pick us ideas, let us know how we're doing. You can reach us at allthingsphotonics.com. All Things Photonics is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as on our website. Subscribe, never miss an episode. I'm Jake Saltzman. This has been a Photonics Media Production.